Okay, today I'm in London with uh, Jamie Hart, Racing and Liquidity Director at the Tote. Yeah. Thanks very much for agreeing to talk to us, Jamie. Um, now, Rob, you've told me a lot about yourself, so we'll sort of start with what you told me, but people don't know what you've told me, so yeah. I'll be leading, leading sort of questions. But one of the things you said, you've been a betting, in, you have a betting industry background, and we're gutted to see the Tote withering on the vine. Yeah, I think everybody that grew up in racing um, has a soft spot for the tote. I grew up in Newmarket, so I'd spent a lot of my time at the Rowley Mile and, and the July course, and the tote was a big part of that. The tote, obviously, it was, it was a better value tote in those days. There was a smaller takeout, just like with all of the totes, really, including Greyhounds. And if you go back to the early Greyhounds, I'm sure you talked to, I saw your interview with Harry, and that's right, you know, they used to be 6% takeout at White City, and, you know, those kind of real big totes. And then you look around the world, and you've got, the, you know, the Hong Kong Jockey Club, the the tab out in Australia, that even though it's been competitive, you know, they've got new competition with fixed-odds bookmakers in the last 25 years. It's still, uh, it's still a big tote, you know, PMU, it's a big tote, but um, it gives an alternative for punters, and I'm a punter myself, I've been a bookmaker most, most of my life, but you need that alternative. A strong tote is good for the environment, good for the ecosystem, I think, you know, so you've got a strong, a strong exchange, a strong tote, and a strong set of fixed-odds bookmakers and the three support each other. And I think you'll see that internationally, but um, we were starting not to have that in this country. Um, certainly we, got a, we had a strong exchange and a, and a bunch of strong bookmakers, but the tote wasn't really seen as an option by serious punters, and we wanted to, or I wanted to be involved in changing that. You saw, you saw from afar that it was withering on the vine, yeah. as you say, but I mean, did, apart from the amount of money that was in it, did you yeah. see what was going wrong? I think, well, if you saw that the takeout rates were just going up rather than coming down, so while all the bookmakers were being more competitive, that we were all introducing best odds guaranteed and better, better terms, um, pricing to lower margins, the tote was going in the opposite direction. I just couldn't understand that. Uh, I think they were then just concentrating on being the on-course option for the, for the people that you know, couldn't be bothered to walk down to the bookies. And, and it was just going to keep on getting worse because if you're not selling a betting product to a betting audience, then you you know it will wither on the vine. People that aren't interested in you, you can't survive as a company selling to people that aren't interested in your product. And you you told me that you thought it'd be easy to turn around, but as yeah, yeah I thought it'd be simple. I thought I thought well, it's like everybody when you talk to any punter on the outside of the tote, you go well, you know, the tote's easy, isn't it? You just take, make it all three percent takeout and just let everyone bet. Um, and that's what I thought. I thought, brilliant, you could come in and really it should be an alternative to the exchange. It should be that kind of level. And then it turns out there's lots of, uh, you know, because it, it was um, ex-government owned and, the, and all of the totes tend to be in all countries that have government ownership at some point and some kind of monopoly tote status, there tend to be a lot of regulations around that. So one of the things we can't drop the takeout rate lower than 16% without full agreement from all the race courses and the race course groups. Um, we do that in a different way now by enhancing prices, certainly for, for the uh, people that bet with us directly. And that's how we get around that. But, um, but you've got a lot of stakeholders in here. Obviously, everybody that sells tote products, just like a lottery seller in the you know, news agent, the news agent gets his cut. It's the same with the tote. And so if we're gonna cut our takeout rates, everybody then thinks we'll hang about I'm getting a decent whack out of the place, but you're, making, you're changing my income without talking to me. 
So we've, we've tried to move it so that our most keenly priced area is if you bet directly with us because we're not affecting anybody else's income that way and we can test how price sensitive it is. But yeah, I, I've always thought though, a global tote at 3% would, would be an interesting introduction to the betting landscape. Okay, now you, you aren't a fan of the racing industry and I'll, t- I'll tell people that are watching why because you said to me, it's intent on shooting itself in the face at every opportunity it gets. That's quite strong. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I th- I, it's because I, I think for all the people that love racing so much and have, brought, have, have kind of brought themselves up with racing, it's been a massive hobby and a massive interest of mine. And I mean, I've genuinely, like growing up in Newmarket, it's all around you. I think I, I didn't even realise that every town in the world wasn't like Newmarket until I was about nine or ten. I thought everywhere had loads of horses wandering about and built their year around, you know, the Guineas, the Derby and the St. Ledger. But um, I, th- I think it's because I love the product so much and I think, and you, you look around the world and see how well it's doing in different areas. I think one of the areas where, and it's, uh, many people have said it in, in the UK particularly, is just the, the difference in ownership across so many parts of it. So you've got a lot of competing factions. Um, most of the other areas where it's very healthy the monopoly tote, normally it was, owned the media rights. And so you've always got that one big sell of this is everything. We put it to everybody and try and make our money from everyone being interested in it. I think certainly from working closer to racing with the, with the tote as I have been, I mean, there's a loads of pockets of everybody's trying to do well in their area, but there's, there's a lack of cohesion and a lack of overall vision for it. So you've got some areas that are trying to generate uh, betting shop kind of fodder. There's other areas where we're still trying to maintain a competitive group one structure. Um, but we're suffering from that because all of the prize money isn't as good as the places where the uh, where all the media is owned by racing in, in the sense. So there's, a, yeah, I think we don't, we don't help ourselves. We could be helping each other out and looking at a longer term view a lot. And I think it's quite often we're fairly short term in racing. Yeah, well, I'm, I think you, I don't know whether I got you in a bad mood or not when, when we talked about this before, but you said the problems with racing, entitlement, short-termism, selfishness, and a lack of customer focus, and they're just yeah. the biggest challenges. Yeah. You're not a fan, are you? You're really not. I, I just, it's, it's because I am a fan that I get so frustrated. I think, yeah, an entitlement is though racing's going to be here forever. You know, oh, people will keep on coming to Ascot. People will keep, you know, I think that's what we, we would, you know, like chatting, we had some uh, uh, chats early on when we were raising funding for, for Alizetti and getting involved with people like Barry Hearn. And it, I think Barry, the great thing about Barry is he do, he's not entitled. He knows he has to work for everything. And he knows that, you know, if there's ever an, uh, an incident like a fight or something at a, at a darts event, when there's so much drink and fun and it's that kind of environment, then that would be the end of it. You know, so he's, he's absolutely on top of that. You know, so so he knows that he's you know he's only as lucky as he plans to to be. You know, it's because everything's planned. That's why they don't have fights at the darts, and it works. It's very well secure, uh, security focused, and racing's kind of having a little bit of a problem with that. Um, there's another, you know, will we even um, World Pool days with Hong Kong betting into the UK uh, for you know sharing their pools with the UK and the UK race courses, getting money out of that. Now we do have the bet, you know, out of all the group, we have more Group One races than anybody else of all the kind of top races in the world. But that is changing. You know, there's there's a lot more competition now. 
with money in France. You've got all these new races coming up in in the middle, you know, in Saudi Arabia as well, coming in alongside Dubai. You've got Australia pumping more money into it. There's, you know, there's not enough horses to go round, and there's plenty of big meetings and uh, places like Hong Kong make plenty of money serving South African race. The two big South African days, they took more money than the than half of our UK days. So we can't sit on our laurels and just assume we're always going to be getting interest around some of our big days. And I think that's what I, that's that sense of entitlement. I think we should be very wary of. Do you think that? Tote betting just is it in our blood. It's a high. I think we certainly, certainly, people love taking a prize, and I think that's part of it. So, you, you, whenever we're talking about uh, betting in this country, there's much more focus on picking a winner. If you look into other countries, if you go to Australia, if you go to Hong Kong and watch the TV coverage, you ask a tipster for their view on race three, and they'll give you their their three to bot. They'll go four with the two and six or the, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about the exotics. We definitely don't do that. We always just want to know your tip, you know, your one horse. And I think that's something we, we need to do more of. I think it's much harder now without uh, flexi betting they have in Australia where uh, you just say, right, I want to try Fector, so the first three in the right order, but I want one, five, seven, nine and 10 for $10 and you pay $10. And I think that, that you know, if you've ever served somebody in the tote, in you know, at a big meeting like at Ladies' Day or something like that at, at Aintree, you know, when somebody calls out seven horses and wants the first three, and they suddenly they go, yeah, that's you know, and they suddenly they want they're, they're told it's going to cost them more than three hundred quid, and they've got a fiver. It's 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 hard to get that across to people because it's not in the psyche of of the British punter. We are very bookmaker based, but I think we as as it'll start from the more serious punters working its way down now. I think, and that's what we're trying to do with the tote here is just introduce the, there is proper value particularly around the whirlpool days with the exotics to get people looking into those kind of pools where they're million pound pools because the hong kong guys are betting in there's proper value there to, you know real value in those so start to get the bigger kind of respected players playing into the tote and, and then it it does eventually feed through because people they respect to play into the tote i know you've checked to mm. harry and patrick and those kind of guys that Take you know they're betting very seriously, and of course the tote has to be part of the board. Well, it's a scoop six. Yeah, scoop six particularly. And friends of mine were in. You know, we run a syndicate. I think there's a lot of that. that, But even though the big players are involved, that also caught the attention of the small people. Yeah. The the lady that won with the two quid, you know, got the front page of the Sun, that sort of thing. So, Agnes. Yes. You know, is that. Is that, first and foremost, are you going to get the Scoop 6 back to its former glory? It's going to be very difficult. Um, the Scoop 6, when it was at its peak, was the main bet that was talked about on terrestrial TV coverage, so, you know, with Channel 4. Um, TV coverage has got far more commercial these days. For anything, if you want to have a, a, a kind of platinum relationship with ITV Racing, I think it's been published what what those kind of but it's multi millions of pounds to to do that, and then you're only really getting the bumpers in the adverts. You know you don't you still can't really influence you can't influence to any degree the um, the editorial content. Um, whereas in the past, you know the scoop six got a lot of coverage. So it's so and it was a time when the lottery was also kind of just coming through. It was you know um, so I don't think we'll ever get that kind of coverage again. Um, and then it was it was 
it was a certain group of people that kept on winning it. We didn't have enough of the Agnes Haddocks in there, so that you know, it, and, and you do get um, losers' fatigue from the masses, and when they're playing their two quid effort and they're never getting anywhere. We do have the place part. That's the other thing mm. with the scoop six. When you talk to people these days that do remember, half of the people that I talk to don't know that there's a place part of the scoop six. You know, so that was always the big kind of consolation in there that meant you could perm up a bit because you could rely on getting some of that place part back. But I think it's going to be harder. We're going to for something that size. I think it's going to come from a commingled international bet where you do use liquidity from Hong Kong and other totes, and you all have and you're all sharing in that same bet. It could that could be a football bet or it could be a racing bet. I hope it, you know, but we'd certainly want to be in the centre of that and an outlet for that for the UK. But I think it's going to take international money to generate the kind of levels of turnover that that we'd need for a really big headline. Okay, then we talk, we've talked about the world, well, we haven't really talked about the world for you, but we've, everybody's probably heard about it, and there's certain yeah. big meetings. Is there a possibility that uh, ex, uh, uh, race at Exeter in, you know, in the future is gonna be all part of the world pool? Is that, can that cover everything? Is that the ambition? It, not in its current guise, um, but I think, I think that's, uh, that's certainly the long-term goal. So the world pool itself is a Hong Kong racing initiative. They're limited by their government of how many international co-mingling days they can have, so they, they constantly lobby to have more. Um, so th so the, in its current guise, that we are, we are limited on the number that, that Hong Kong can host, and Hong Kong's got most of the money in there, so they host those. I think when you look at the World Tote Association, the whole drive behind that and behind the members of the World Tote Association and where we're trying to get to long-term is the fact that we're running B, we, we call them A pools and B pools. So if Australia are running a pool, a pool at uh, Flemington, that's the A pool. It's the pool that is of the kind of country it comes from. If, if Paris, if, if France are running a B pool, a pool on that race, but they're running it themselves as a B pool. There's too many B pools around. Whereas if we put all of the money into one pool, so every time there's a race in France, we're all playing into that. If it's in Britain, we're all playing into that. If it's in Australia, we're all playing into that. That's where we want to get to. It won't, I thought, we're hoping that will just become business as usual. So it will be outside the whirlpool model, but that's certainly where we need to get to, to have proper, proper uh, pools across the board. So Jamie, um, one of the things that the tote, since you've, well, since you've been on board, your, your sort of uh, version of the tote is that you currently match the industry SP. Now, was that decision made easier now that it's created in a in-house shrouded in mystery and appears to be skinny at the front end, as opposed yeah. to when it was returned for the race course, yes. where it should be? Yeah, I mean, this, I must, to, to, I'm talking, obviously, with my experience of being a bookmaker and an off-course bookmaker much more than an on-course bookmaker, although we did have on-course representation. Um, I, I've, I, I think it's, I think it's cleaner now. But that's I'm talking from an off-course bookmaker point of view. Um, it's, it's more. It, it's certainly when we were matching at SP. When the, that was immediately, people say, "Oh, you can't do that." You know, people will have you over. We'll be able to get on for whatever money. But we've been doing it for two and a half years, and we, you know, you can bet up to twenty grand without talking to anybody. You know, and just put it. On, you can put it on at any time before. Um, and, be, and, and your money's going straight into the tote, it's just a machine, nobody looks at it, goes in. There will be then people look, you know, other punters around the world looking to see the other prices, how they move and everything, and they'll play against it because they'll be arbing against Betfair and stuff like that. But we're happy with it, I think much more, I'm certainly more happy with it for being responsible at this end for the kind of the 
balancing the books. Um, that while Sedgefield on a you know very wet Wednesday might not have that many people there on an afternoon, and you know, and there's not much money in on-course bookmaking sometimes. You, you know, it, it's a lot easier, or I'd certainly be a, a lot harder to manipulate Bet Three Six Five, William Hill, uh, Entain, Flutter, than you know three blokes standing in the wind at Sedgefield that haven't haven't fed themselves for six months. You know, so so I, we were, I was quite happy that it went off course. To be fair, and we haven't seen when we're looking at the margins, the margins have been light, smaller since it's gone off course than it, when it was on course. So, as a punter as well, I'm quite I'm quite a supporter of it. We all know it's because they're knocking out the long price. Anyway, we won't go there. But how's the shortfall made up then? No, well we, we take the long term view. Uh, actually, you know, if you think about it as a bookmaker, um, when we're paying overs. You know, which we regularly do, then that's just the pure pool price. So when we're paying the straight price, it's just the SP. So we're either being an SP bookmaker, or we're we're just being a tote operator. So it wouldn't if, if I was heart bookmakers and I was matching the tote or the SP, whatever's better, then I'd I'd lose money because I've got I, I don't own the tote. So I'm just play, I'm playing at a much low, lower rate, and you'll see it. So that we always put up the um, percentage over round. In the book, so in the UK racing, it will, it will run around 106, 107. But if you get into the world pool, which we talked about before, when you've got the Hong Kong money coming in and we're still guaranteeing it, there's massive discrepancy versus the UK market. So quite regularly on the world pool days, you will return a, a pool that's a win pool that's got over a million in it, that's a 96.2% pool. So you know nobody else has that kind of value, but you can do it because of the. It, because basically when we overpay, and that's where most of the margin is taken out, it's the actual tote price. Is there, is there not a worry that with the draconian nature of the bookmaker restrictions and things that, I mean, like I said, I've spoken to Harry Finley, Patrick Beach, I imagine they both bet quite big, that um, you're going to get a massive influx of professional money late on, knowing they're going to get on SP, which is, yeah. they've got a rough idea what the SP is going to yeah, be, yeah. that you're going to end up, you know, it's going to be untenable because you're only getting the shrewdies better with you. We've, for serious amounts yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah, for serious amounts of money. We'll get, we'll, the, the more the total, the more we expand our, um, our, our connectivity, the better it is for us. Because still they don't all back the same thing. Uh, there'll still be plenty of machines around that are trying to arb against uh, the exchanges and things like that. So we, the best for us is when somebody plays and they play you know, with a, at least a couple of minutes to go, because then the machines can come in and soften that. Because the machines don't care who's back what; they're just playing against the the, the percentages. But at the moment, we've 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 been running it for two and a bit years, and we're quite happy that it's it's working as we expect. Um, I don't think enough. I think less of the pro punters know that it's an option. Because if you are going to have a bet SP, you have it with any bookmaker. They do have bet there open. They do. Now, if it's an off-course bookmaker, contribute to the off-course SP. So you are affecting the SP by having that wherever you have it. Whereas if you drop it into the tote, it's just dropping into a machine, and it's, we're not even in the SP mechanism. So if you are trying to get something, you know, it's something that punters and serious punters should be looking at. Now, in the past, there's been eyebrows raised, mine as well. The, yeah. the tote uncannily used to mirror the SP without yeah. anybody saying we're mirroring the SP. Yeah. You know, um, the fact that people know now that you can manipulate it up, is there not a worry with 
public sort of conception that you can manipulate it down as well. You're not worried that that, if it's so easy to manipulate it up, you might be able to do that. When you say manipulate it up, you mean we guarantee it? Exactly. Yeah. So if you can change the dividend yeah, but in a yeah, we time, to, to ma if it was going to be below, yeah. then it's up. Oh no, we just we, but that's not the real dividend. So we that's that's an offer. But can, so. do do you? I mean, I don't know. I should have done my research. Yeah. Do you say when it's been boosted? Uh, you you can see if you go to Tote Pool Live Info, which is the kind of industry standalone Tote kind of dividend site. Yeah. You can see what the the true uh, Tote dividend is. So you could that that's the one that say. So we still uh, offer the Tote in places like Cyprus and bookies in America and stuff like that. So they'll all just take the standard tote price. And so that, that so our, our SP guarantee works on course and it works on our website. But if you have a bet, you know, with a, with a bookmaker at tote or somebody, somebody that's, you know, taking all their commission or in an international bookmaker, they'll get the normal price. So there is still a standard dividend. It's just that to have it in the, the race, we'd swap to the race, when the race course is swapped across, then the racing post um, swapped across to the, the SB guaranteed dividend because that's what most of the money was being taken at, because certainly in this country. Um, so we don't, it's not a manipulation up, it's an enhancement, just like a best odds guarantee. Okay. But, but um, in the past, you know, it, it just depends there. I think if, if, it, if they were very much closer to SP in the past, that would be more reflective of the fact that you'd have very big players playing very late that were taking into account what's on Betfair. And to do that, you've have got to be playing at a very advantageous rate. And that doesn't exist anymore. Okay, now there's another thing I've got to ask this question from my own course bookmaker mate. Um, I'm sure you're not responsible for it, but anyone that goes racing will know that there's these cuckoos pictures yes. that look like race course bookmakers. Yeah. And they're in the better pictures than a lot of racecourse bookmakers, yeah. but they're not racecourse bookmakers. They are imposters. They yes. look like racecourse bookies, but it's a total. I mean, is that is it? Would it not be fair to compete directly with the racecourse bookies and buy pictures in the ring if you want to compete with the on-course bookies rather than just get these prime spots in the on racecourses which you appear to have? Yeah, that's a, it's a strange one that because that's we we run the tape, but Brit Bet. Uh, which is owned by the racecourses, run the operation of the on-course uh, selling of the tote. Um, I, as a, I've still got an opinion. I'll give you. <laughs> but uh, that's I what you want. Your opinion. That's what I'm after. <laughs> I, go, I, th I think. I think at the moment because we obviously the tote and the racecourse has the ownership of the tote. They get all the money from the tote uh, on the on the racecourse, and they've always had the windows and stuff in the bars and stuff like that. So they they've had all the best spots anyway. They have started doing pictures just because to get the footfall, you know, near the paddock and stuff like that. But they've also started moving some of the, the racecourse bookies have moved away from what used to just be in tats and stuff. Now that you'll see them popping up in different places. I don't think we were, we did talk about um, bidding for pitches here at the tape, but then we thought if you're right in amongst them, that there'd be, there could be too much confusion well, be because of the price. the ones that you've got. Oh, that, that just yeah. popped up from nowhere. But they're but they're not on. They're not in the kind of no, bookmaker no, area. They're in the they? absolute yeah. prime spots. Yeah, uh, but I don't think they're selling those spots. <laughs> no, and they the race, be, would they? And the race and the race courses. <laughs> obviously, there's a, there's a fixed income from the from the pitch bookies, and there's a variable income from the uh, from the tote there. But um, you'll see that they've closed down a few of the uh, the windows. They don't use as many of the windows, and they have moved to those kind of pitches. But then. 
it's just giving great customer service to the to the crowd though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now that you match it, SP, I suppose it's better customer service than it was before. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, okay, so um, you mentioned that the, you know people can bet that there's bots and stuff that can bet into the pool. So does that explain why? I mean, we're going back a few years yeah. now. When I was a kid, you, quite often you'd see a, a two to five shot pay two pound for a yeah. place. That doesn't seem to happen anymore. No, it's it, that that kind of stuff. It's main, mainly driven by the environment. So just when, when we were kids, you know, you you could go to a bookmate, especially on sport. You could have golfers that were eight to one and thirty three to one. And just that you, we don't get that kind of discrepancy mm. anymore because the machines are going and they kind of level it. Um, you will still get some some significant discrepancies. Um, sometimes though, you'll get. Sometimes we have big international players that come in, just proper recreational international players. Somebody at SBO in the Far East might have eight grand on a horse just because it's, they're in a bar in Wan Chai, or so, you know, and it, and it just knocks something out. Um, so you do keep a lookout for those. The machines are looking out for that kind of stuff, but it does still, still happen. Um, we talked off camera around the uh, SP of the, um, the winner of the Grand National this year. There's, you know, there's still some kind of freaky diffs that are associated both on the exchanges and not, and on the tote. Um, the uh, Gaelic warrior at the, at, uh, was 30, backed into 13 to 8 at uh, Cheltenham that paid 210 a place. You know, it's, so they, you still do kind of get those kind of freaky ones. Um, what you'll definitely get are freaky divs around the world pools because, because they are so, the international money you can't, you, it's, there's so much in there and, it's, and it all comes based so much on what what they're reading and what they're viewing on the TV out, out in Hong Kong and those other countries that you will still get those big big discrepancies there. And then there's other discrepancies, mostly around the exotics, which like we talked about earlier, people don't seem to, in this country we're not so, such exotic players, but there are still significant differences in the exotics. You know, so I think the trica people, it always kills me when there's somebody wins the tricast at the Grand National, they put a picture of their slip up and they won four grand and they get what it paid you know, pay 24 grand on the trifecta. You know, if you'd written it out differently, you'd have been much better off. So that, that kind of stuff, you can get some freaky dips. Okay, so we talked about the scoop sips, we talked about the win, winning place pools, obviously, is part of the world pool. Is there, is there any other products in the pipeline? Are you actively sort of looking for other ways of bringing the tote to prominence again? Yeah, I think, I think certainly big international pools that generate a, a, multi, a big international multi-leg that, that could be you know, of lottery style, because I think that's something that is missing from our portfolio, a big lottery style bet. Um, we're seeing a lot more engagement around, we've started running a couple of betting tournaments over Cheltenham, Aintree, and people really like them. It's just, you know, sort of where everyone's just betting normally, but you have a leaderboard. We have a, a guy here, Jamie Benson, that we just put up, he, he bets as well, and then you've just got to beat him, and you get more money if you beat him. I mean, it just comes in for a lot of stick, because he, Whenever he does his ass, obviously everybody in there knows, and it's, 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 he's tried to develop quite a thick skin off the back of it. But we're having a, there's a lot. It generates a lot of interest, and because everybody's got the same price, it's not like a normal betting competition where you make, you know, he was matched on Betfair yesterday at 28, and it's seven or two. You've missed all that. Everybody's got everybody's got access to the same bets. Everybody's got can bet as much or as little as they want, you know, and, and you're just rewarded on making profit. So we'll do more of that, and I think we're, we're building out a platform at the moment to do more kind of fantasy style betting because I still think that's a tote, tote is people betting against people and the, and the, the market kind of coming out on the opinion there. So we think there's not really a great fantasy product. We've got the 10 to follow, but it's far too long form for any of the youngsters these days, you know, you're 18 to 35. Nobody wants to have a 
commitment six months it's, it's just that people as old as me that love to tend to follow you know but so we'll be bringing up a kind of much more daily fantasy style uh, bet as well something else I've, i want to do and i've wanted to do for a while is have a proper churn bet uh, on the tote that mean that's bet to a really low margin much more baccarat style bet but one that bookmakers can't price and so i've always thought i thought one of the best things that um, bet fred introduced was the both teams to score because it gives you an interest all the way through the match you never you've never lost until the end or you've been paid and so the only thing close to that is to give everyone an interest in the finish was was how far the winning distance is. So we came up with clear v close. It's either it's close if you win by up to and including a length, and it's clear if you walk more than a length. Just a two a two horse tote, but it's a two and a half percent tote. So it's much more. It's it's something you can just throw money at the, at the side. But you know, whatever happens, even if your horse has fallen, you're you're cheering either the second to get closer or the first to get further away. And I think it's something like that that only the tote can do. Because I wouldn't be able to price that in every race. So something that you can just leave to a tote, that, that kind of product. So you've got massive jackpot product and some churn products that only totes can price. I think that's the kind of way that we should go. All right, Jamie. So I, this final part, we're going to talk about you because we never met before, but obviously I was doing my research and kind of send me your CV. It's quite impressive. You've, done, you've been through quite, you've had quite a up and down sort of yeah, career. Yeah, all over the place. In yeah. the, uh, so you moved to Darwin. Yeah. Australia in 1996 to work for a bookie um, and you were sort of involved in computers and setting up websites I mean did you learn those extra skills or did you already possess them well it was, it was kind of it was 1996 so I was, I was 26 and um, in those days there was a, we had a computer in the corner and uh, whoever's under 30 was expected to be able to use and you're not scared because you've grown up with you know you said spectrum and stuff but it was pretty much falling into it um, we had a system that we all used, um, and we built an internet system on top of an internet-based system on top of that telephone betting system. I didn't do the building; so a couple of other guys did that. I do. I was much more on the content side of things and the bookmaking side of things. So I'd be working with them, and and then you just pick it up a, along the way. Um, and then that that business it was Mark Reed I was with, and then there were two businesses there. There's uh, Darwin All Sports that turned into an international all sports and Sportsbet next door that was run by Brian Clark. And those two businesses were the ones that got bought by uh, Paddy Power when they set up. Now is Sportsbet that's kind of dominating Australian betting over there. So we're there in the very early days there. But it used to just be much more like CFAX in 96. We didn't take an interactive bet until about 98. Okay, now I've jumped the gun a bit because you've already mentioned to us that you were brought up in Newmarket, but yeah. you're not from a racing family. No, no. You actually worked on your 18th birthday in a yeah. betting shop. Yeah, so, so I, you I always quite loved keen. Yeah, I was. I loved. I was good at maths and stuff, and I, and I just loved betting. I think it's just the it's. I love puzzles, and excitement and betting, and so on. So it's just so it's a natural thing. I just I, and I love the atmosphere of a betting shop and. You know, just the people you see in there, that, you know, especially a flat roof betting shop next to a flat roof pub. It's absolutely, you know, on, a, on, a, on an estate. I, you learn so much in there. I just loved it. But you, were, but you were studying at one of the highest educational centres in the world at Cambridge. Yeah. Doing um, mathematics, the law. Terrible. Sorry, yeah, I did law. law yeah, because I thought I was good at maths, but I thought I, thought I wanted to do law because I thought I watched LA Law and they looked looked really trendy in there. I thought that'd be a good thing to do. I do, you know. It's probably the worst thing to do because it doesn't really suit my brain at all. Or, you know, towing the line and being regulated has never been my strong point. 
but um, but I, yeah, I got my degree and everything. Mm. But, but I worked in betting shops all the way through as well, you know, in my summer holidays and stuff. And then and then came out. I did get I got got a proper job in the uh, uh, for strategy consulting for KPMG after that in the city. But I was I was in a sausage factory. I was going to say, tell us yeah. about your epiphany moment. I was, I was, I was, I, we were sit, sitting there giving this uh, consultation or giving this presentation to the boardroom of a sausage factory in Colville. And at that time, as a junior kind of consultant, um, you, you had to just you had to make sure everything was spelt right. And you, in those days, it was an acetate, you know, on an overhead projector. So you mustn't have a shaky hand. You know, that was all you really had to do. And it was three it was three thirty on a first first Thursday in May. I'm sitting there trying about to talk about sausages, and they're going down to the start for the thousand guineas. And I am sitting in a sausage factory boardroom in Colville, and I thought this is not how I wanted my life to go. So I. I I left that and uh, went straight back to betting and betting shops and thought, well, I'll, drug, you know, I'll do all right. If I'm doing something I love, I'll do all right if I throw myself into that. Right, so we've got, you've, been to, you've gone to Australia, you've stayed there for a couple of years and you've come back, yeah. moved to Leeds to work with William yeah. Hill and set up their internet business. And so yeah. you're right at the beginning of all that uh, online yeah. betting. Yeah. I mean, were you, were you surprised how soon online betting, you know, people didn't trust the internet, did they? No, it's quite funny. We, we, but there weren't any rules then, so it's brilliant. We had a brilliant laugh. There were four of us sitting in a room with no, no windows. Ralph was our boss. He did, and he'd been given the internet to do just in case it took off, and he employed me. I was in Australia when he got in touch. So I was. They, he employed a guy from South Africa, and we had a, cu- a couple of tech guys. We were building it out on the top of this telephone betting system called SB Client that we used to use. But uh, every bet in those days used to print out. So on the tele- telephone betting was massive there. You used to have big call centers and stuff, and all the bets used to spit out on a dot matrix printer. So for the internet, we didn't take many, well, we hadn't taken a bit. So we, we just had a printer, just printed out what, I can remember the first bet we took was on a piece of A4 paper, come out as five pound at eight to 11 on Man United. And I thought in the end, when we, when, you know, it was taking off and taking off, and we were, ta- we were doing more money in paper than we were on anything else. So we thought we should, we should turn the printer off now. And it just kind of went skyrocketed after that. And you mentioned you were working with Ralph Topping. Yeah, it was so good. How was, was good. he? He was, re- he was a really, he was a, he was a great boss, if, especially if you're in the betting industry. And the great thing about Ralph is he, he'd done every job because he had worked in the shops. He had worked, you know, in marketing. He'd had worked in HR. You know, he'd gone, he'd worked all the way through that business and he cared so much about that business and the customers and everybody that worked in that business. And so you knew that w- if, you were t- if, you, if you had any kind of opinion, but it's always came from the right place, so it's about making stuff better for customers, making stuff better for colleagues or whatever. He absolutely listened to you, he'd, give, he'd always give you a time of day, and he'd support you. So it's the, you know, it was the best of everything. So that was really the, the kind of uh, catalyst behind all the big growth in, at Hills, was he, j- he gave us our freedom to Build great stuff and, and backed us. You know, it, obviously we'd have to hit the numbers and everything, but you know, we were. It was a time when we could hit numbers. But yeah, about the trustworthiness though, it was quite funny. We didn't have. There weren't any kind of rules on the internet then, and we. Oh, but we used to take about twenty-five percent of the money from China, twenty-five percent from America, twenty-five percent the rest of the world, and twenty-five percent from the UK because it was, there weren't any rules then. And. Uh, and the adverts were kind of, you know, we, even for the American market, we had kind of pictures of, of the William Hill shaking hands with the Queen. And that was our, you know, don't bet with the Caribbean pirates. You know, we've got, you know, we've got some, we even had, you know, 
one of them that went because the only thing that really the internet was used for early was betting and porn. So we had to we had to get laid for a fiver because you used to have to get fifty quid minimum deposit everywhere else. You know that was one of our best working uh, banners out in the American market. And needless to say, that wouldn't be allowed these days. <laughs> but then you went to work with the opposition under Wolf Walsh and yeah. Corals. Yeah, I went to so. I'd been in the internet and then I wanted to go back into trading a bit because I thought trading was one of the areas that was holding us back on the internet. Um, it's a less, uh, um, it was good working for Wilf, he's another very, you know, very clever guy. Um, and uh, we tried to take the, the, the opinion out of trading, it was just when, when in-play trading was getting much more automated, so we started to put a lot more automation in there, got the SSPTs in and stuff, but really wanted to make traders responsible and say why, if, you know, you can't, don't just say no to a customer, tell him why you, you're not laying his bet and always change your price. If you, you know, it's, it's very rude to refuse somebody. It was less common in those days, wasn't it? To refuse exactly. people's bets. Exactly, so, exactly. You wouldn't have said on the phone, no, you've got £1.50, would you? No, exactly. And I think, that's, I think that's one of the downsides of the internet is that there is a bit of hiding behind that. And, to, and in that sense, almost all to, too much automation because you, you know that there's not really human there when you're getting £1.50. Mm. And then you went back to Gibraltar and you went back with William Hill. Yeah, and then... We went to Gibraltar, yeah, not yeah. back there, and you went with William Hill. Yeah, and then we, we took a, a group of people out there to... We, were, we set up in, in Gibraltar. The best thing about that was um, we had 120 people that went out there with their families and stuff, you know, right off the bat, and, and got, got great growth then. It's not to do with... I don't. I still don't think it's to do with anything to do with the product so much, or you know, no single thing. The biggest thing was having 120 people that were so committed that they would lift up their entire lives and go out to to, to Gibraltar, complete a new country, and then you knew that everybody there was as committed as you were, and everybody helped each other out. So I think that's another thing about any kind of startup. It's that camaraderie that really drives it. It means you're all talking, and so that it was really is that that was the most fun. Yeah. And you mentioned the startup yeah. Sunbets. Yes, you were part of that. Yeah, and then I went. To, yeah, I got to. So I got to Sunbets. It was the. It was a deal be, between um, Tabcor and uh, a news corporation, and and some bingo and things like that done very well. Um, we'd looked at other businesses had looked at a tie up with news. Um, by the time I got there, they'd already done the deal. So the, and and they released because I had a, a, a big um, a big gardening leave. Period. So I couldn't. But the, I think the premise that that had gone wrong really, because it was being built for the. It was the UK market again. It was a bit of kind of entitlement or arrogance from the Australian side a little bit, um, because they were building a a, a betting uh, product for the UK audience based on the Australian uh, platform. But the Australian pla in Britain, half of the business you took was on casino, half of the business, half of the rest was sportsbook. Of the sports book, half of it was in play, and you know, and so you've got a quarter left of pre-match betting. Of the pre-match betting, you know, racing would be thirty percent of that. Whereas in, in in Australia, you're not allowed to do casino, so they didn't have that. You're not allowed to do in play, so you didn't have that. So you're down now down to a platform that's built for seventy percent horse racing business, and obviously isn't as flexible as all of the bookmakers over here and and then and then if you go and just shouting yes what there are certain things that people will shift their money for gaming is very it's kind of the, I always say gaming is like the peanuts at a party you're not you don't go to the party for the peanuts but you stand next to a bowl and you finish them you know it's not but you don't so but that's not the that's not why you went so gaming is very easy to sell 
if you've got lots of traffic and stuff like that, so Poker Stars Casino will be fantastic and stuff like that. But for sport, people tend to stick with their bookmaker of choice a little bit, where your balance is, and, and get used to how to use it. It's very hard to shift a, shift a, uh, a habit. And so to sit, and they had to, and the way that the deal was structured, they had to hit the ground running with a massive, you know, a massive uh, minimum uh, revenue requirement for news, which they could never hit. So of course everybody's going to be under pressure from day one, and once people are under pressure, not hitting targets, it's it's not great for a business. Right. Okay. So now we're up to date. We're back to the tote. Yeah. You're in the tote. This is you now. Um, you told me that being a bookmaker was easy in comparison. Yeah, it's just really de developing stuff is the biggest thing. So if we, we could come up with an idea as a bookie, and or we might price something out, we could have it out tomorrow. We could have it out that night if you're pricing something out. Uh, whereas with the tote, because you've got all the totes are talking to each other, everybody's got, there's the, they're all connected with ITSP, and to give you an idea of how old that is, the T stands for telephone. You know, so it's not, it's not, it's 80s tech mostly. I know they've built on it. But it's, it's, it's very rigid because you can't change too much because they've got so many connections to everything. Um, give you an example, so the place pot, so we've done a place pot 7 to mirror the ITV place pot, so the IT, or the ITV7 place, so a place pot for ITV7. But that's taken kind of five months to add one leg to the place pot and have it across different so, you know, it's just, Whereas if you're a bookie, you, you create that in two hours. Um, it's, there's, it's a lot, the moving parts are much, much slower. So we, we, the, a lot of the stuff that we want to do, you know, like free format multiples, because now we've got the SP guarantee, you'd want to be able to, well, people want to do doubles and trebles and stuff like that. But again, it's a lot, there's a whole big change, the, the way the entire tote works for that to kick in. I think we can, we can do it, but it's, it's, it'd take a lot longer than it would do for a bookie. So it's much more about the, the delivery of new product. Okay, so. now you, you said that um, early on you saw that Sunbets was doomed. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got it when you could, but you're a lot more optimistic for the tote. Definitely, definitely. We're starting to see a real kind of turnaround now. Particularly, we're, we've, the online business was going up, then we had a lot of kind of ga the gambling commission changed their uh, attitude to um, protections and stuff, and so and people, and people don't like being asked about, asked to send in a wage slip to have a tenner on the horse. Um, and every bookmaker in this country has been has suffered from that, but it's started to come back now. We've got the SP guarantee that's really kind of now we've got it on the race course as well as online. People used to get confused because we'd be telling them online that we've got it, but then you turn up at the race course and you haven't got it, and it didn't really make sense, especially when we don't have the kind of marketing budget that a bet 365 or a Hills or an Entain would have. So it's very hard to get that message out, but now we've got it on, on, on course, it's starting to really pick up. So we've got, you know. I think Aintree was 40% up on the last time it was opened to uh, the public. So we've got, we've, it is starting to come through. Okay, right, finally, you said that Sunbet was doomed. Yeah. Do you have your, your way with a tote? Are all bookmakers doomed? Are you looking for a tote monopoly? <laughs> no, um, I, I, sorry, I, I think every, every uh, jurisdiction for betting should have three, the three kind of tenets of betting, or the three, pillars of betting so you should have a really good exchange model you should have a really good tote and you should have a really good fixed odds bookmakers and they all f can generate money for each other because as it because most of the turnover on if you if you got rid of the exchange you'd lose a lot of the turnover in fixed odds if you got rid of the tote in other countries then you know it's it would affect fixed odds because it's there's so much money that's moving around between the three 
The other thing though, but where a tote monopoly has helped is normally to do with the media rights because normally they own the media rights. But then, which is something that I don't understand why we haven't done in this country. Whereas, so we have two sets of media right holders, Racing UK, RMG, ATR, uh, Sky Sports Racing. Now, we've changed, all the bookmakers have changed their deals with, with the streaming providers. We used to pay 10p, 20p, whatever you, depending how big you were, per stream. And now we pay a percentage of our turnover. Now, when you go to Australia, old Tote Monopoly, go to France, Tote Monopoly, they get t t racing TV in every bar for, for, for free, have it at home, I can watch it for free at home all the time, all day if I want to, yet we put that behind a paywall for people at home and we charge pubs to show it. If, you're, if your whole model runs around a percentage of how much people bet on racing, why would you charge anybody anything to watch racing? You'd, put, you'd make it free to air and you'd stick it in every pub for free. You'd stick it in every front room for free. At least make it accessible for free. How much are you making off the 5,000 people that are paying subscription purely for racing TV? Not as much as you're going to make if it's the one pub, or it's the one sport that every pub can have on. You know, not just as a packer, 30 grand a year package. So for me, I just I think that it's much more, the tote monopolies are only good because they own the media and they understand if you've got the media, stick it in front of as many people as you can and you make more money. Brilliant. Well, on that note, Jamie Hart, thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers.